Good morning, everyone. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for your life-giving word, uh, that it brings life because it is yours and you wonderfully care for us. Thank you for sustaining us in every way, but above all, that we can hear you speak and have life through the Lord Jesus Christ. Continue that great work in us now as we are together today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was thinking that this is the, uh, one, the one reading you can do when it's Genesis 1, where it doesn't matter who published your version of the NIV, we all turn to page 1. <laughs> On Christmas Eve 1968, three people orbited the moon for the first time. Their names were William Anders, Jim Lovell and Frank Borman. Uh, they sat in what can only be described as a high-tech tin can and were the first people ever to see the Earth against the vastness of space. No one had been that far away before. They took this famous photo, but on their Christmas Eve broadcast and with the perspective their history-making flight gave them, they did something else. Uh, you can look this up and listen to it on YouTube but they read as their Christmas message, it was Christmas Eve, those words Kathy read to us. They read from Genesis 1, verse 1 to 10. Now, I hasten to add, I wasn't around to hear them myself, but I know some of you were, and it was an extraordinary experience. But listening to it, and even thinking about it, still makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. But the truth of the matter is, we don't need to orbit the moon to have the right perspective on our world. And we are right now getting an even greater experience, the power of the word of God, the word of the creator to those he's created. And as you hear these words, as you've heard them, were you stirred by the majesty and awesomeness of God? And were you overwhelmed by his goodness in creation and design and dependableness? And are you amazed that in all this, people, you and I are caught up in the pinnacle of God's plans, bearing his image and rulers in his creation? Well, as uh, Ben mentioned, Genesis is, is the book of, the be of beginnings. That's what Genesis means. Uh, this is the book of beginnings in God's book, and we're at the beginning of the book of beginnings. I'm going to be saying that quite a bit this morning. So why is it here? Uh, what is it saying and what does it mean? Now, remember the book of Genesis in the first place. This is Israel's book. It really set the scene for the birth and growth of God's people. It, it's set in the Middle East and Mesopotamia. And in the first 11 chapters we're covering uh, in this series uh, over this term, it covers, well, who knows how many generations at a pace that sets everything up for Israel to understand herself. You only have to look what happens in the remaining 39 chapters. They only span four generations. And you see how time slows down and the details go up after this part. But this is not their book alone. They don't have a monopoly on that, Israel, that is. It's also our book. Because God, through Israel, brought into existence, or had, he brought them into existence with the bigger plan in mind, with Christ in mind, with us in mind, so that what begins here climaxes with him. Let me put it another way. 
Without these 11 chapters in our Bibles, the gospel of the Lord Jesus makes no sense. Without these 11 chapters in our Bibles, the gospel of the Lord Jesus makes no sense. Now, last time I preached this uh, here at church, one of my sons, much younger at the time, asked me uh, what I was preaching on on Sunday. Genesis chapter 1, I said. Why, uh, I asked. Well, he said, oh, sorry, I, <laughs> telling the story the wrong way. Uh, Genesis chapter 1. Uh, he said, oh, that's good. And I asked him why. And he said, well, everyone knows it. So it's the easiest chapter of the Bible to preach on. And as we chuckle away, it is indeed well known, but it doesn't mean that we don't have lots of questions. Uh, And I'm not sure any of us would be satisfied if I simply said, read it and remember it. In fact, the whole of Genesis 1 to 11 is a bit like that. And you might be able to think now of your own questions. Uh, Did it really happen this way as part of history or is it just make-believe to try and make sense of the world? Were there six 24-hour days of creation? What about talk of evolution? Is this the definitive battleground of science and Christianity? And later on in Genesis 1 to 11, where did Cain's wife come from? Uh, Can a flood really cover the whole earth? And I've known some people to live to a ripe old age in my time, but 900 is very old. I hope you have lots of questions as you come to Genesis 1 to 11, and I hope many of them are answered. But let me add a word of caution Our questions are shaped by all sorts of factors, not least the culture we live in. And it's a culture with its own agenda, and it's a culture that leans on things like human discovery and human reason in ways they may just not be able to bear. And so we need to come to Genesis 1 to 11 humbly. Sure, we have questions, but what questions does it ask of us and what answers does it provide? We shouldn't place ourselves over the word of God, but under it. Because more important than all the questions we want to ask of it are the questions it will ask of us. Now today, as we've come to the beginning of the beginning, reading Genesis chapter 1, let me ask you this. Uh, do have it open in front of you, but take a few moments uh, now to think, what did you notice as you heard it read? And let me even put it this way, don't be afraid to include the obvious. In fact, start with the obvious. What do you notice? No doubt there are many ways we could answer, but as we dwell on the riches of Genesis 1, I'm going to tackle it in this way. Uh, firstly, what we see about God, what we see about our creation, and finally, how through it we may see Christ. God's very much at the centre of all we read here, isn't he? Uh, let's have a think about him uh, and what Genesis 1 tells us about him. And the first thing is he powerfully created everything. Who's at work? And mentioned explicitly, if not nearly, uh, in every sentence. It's God, isn't it? Creating both big and small. He's flying solo. He's doing it alone. Look particularly at verse 1. And we're left in no doubt, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He didn't shape what already existed. He made it in the first place. Now, some of you will know, I used to work as an engineer. Uh, They like to think they're good at creating things, but... 
they really only rearrange things. Uh, your phone, as clever as it is, uh, as useful as it can be, it's really just a complicated rearrangement of stuff that already existed. But when God creates, when there was nothing, he made something. In fact, he made everything out of nothing, even time itself. And so this really is the beginning. But did you notice the way God creates? He creates by his word. Now that's real power, isn't it? Wouldn't you love to have that sort of power? In all the wet that we've had over summer, I'd like to walk outside to my lawn out there and say, be moon! <laughs> you see a shadow of that sort of power in prime ministers and premiers, don't you, when they say they're going to build a new tunnel or a new transport link? Yes, it'll take time and other people will do the heavy lifting, but it'll happen. But that's only a shadow of here. Here we have the God who only needs speak. And it happens. Psalm 33 verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. And so God's the one who creates everything by his word and he does it in an orderly and purposeful way. When I asked you, what do you notice? I wonder if this jumped to mind to you, the way, the order and deliberateness and structure of what's revealed here in Genesis 1. Uh, verse 1 and 2 set the scene with God making the raw materials. From verse 3, he separates and differentiates and completes. And there's a pattern to how it all happens, uh, a bit like a, a sort of a, a, a theme running through again and again. It's got a rhythm to it. You can see it up on the screen. Uh, and God said, let there be, and there was. God saw that it was good. God called it something. There was evening and there was morning, the something day. Look a little closer and you see this other pattern. In days one to three, God creates the places. In four to six, he fills them. The places come one after another, light and dark, the sky and sea, the sea and the land. Then what goes in them? The sun, moon and stars, the creatures of the air and sea, then the creatures of the land, including us. It shows us that God isn't all over the shop or, you know, making it up as he goes. He hasn't created a quagmire for us to live in, but he's actually made the world orderly and purposeful. And so we can live orderly and purposeful lives according to the purpose he has given us. And the place where this drives us, as we've seen these things unfold, is that God rules over creation. He speaks, it happens. He creates and it exists. The world and everything in it exists because he made it. He made it, he names it and so rules over it. He is the author and so with that he is the final authority. You see, Israel didn't live in a vacuum when these words were first spoken and written down. They lived among other peoples of the Middle East and Mesopotamia, peoples with many gods and their own explanations of how the world was made. Uh, one of those was that the world sort of came together as shrapnel from wars between the gods. Another one was that, no, it was made intentionally, but uh, people were enslaved to feed the gods. And whatever case it is, it's always a multitude of gods. 
And so you can't read Genesis 1 and not hear it systematically knocking down all those ways of looking at God and us looking at ourselves. That's the same for true for us, uh, but we'll come back to that in a few moments. Let me just recap what we learn about God here from the beginning. And remember, the importance of this isn't isolated just to here, but foundational for the whole of God's word. He creates everything out of nothing by his word in an orderly and purposeful way and now rules over creation. Now, since God's the one who's doing the working in Genesis, it does make sense for us to focus on him first. But what about the creation that he makes? It's an extraordinary account. What, what are we meant to notice? How will it shape our world, our view of ourselves and God? Uh, and so we'll look at creation. The first thing you notice is it's orderly and habitable. Now, of course, that's the flip side of what I was just saying a few moments ago. Uh, but there is an order right from the start that makes it all work together. God invented ecosystems and environmentalism. We're just playing catch-up, trying to understand them. <clears throat> but think, too, about how we view all of life. Uh, it's easy to take for granted because of our roots. Scientific inquiry, as we know it, has been around for some 400 years. It shapes so much of what we take as a given. But do you know what jump-started it? What jump-started it was the conviction of the early scientists that we live in an orderly, habitable world created by God. Science doesn't work if things don't happen the same way each time you repeat them. Science is all about observation, and if there's no pattern, well, no pattern might still be entertaining, but it's not much good for anything else. But as we read here Genesis we're reminded God made an orderly and habitable world. The next thing to notice about creation is that it's wholly dependent upon God. He made it. He keeps it going. Uh, the order and predictability of things can lull us into forgetting that. After all, the seasons come one after another, year after year. Some have described the world like a giant machine that, well, maybe God started, but now can look after itself. But the same word that creates is the word that sustains our world and our lives. I've certainly read this uh, verse from Revelation 4, verse 11 uh, in church in the past, but it puts it like this. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And so what we see is God may have rested from his work of creating on the seventh day, but he didn't stop being intimately involved in keeping the creation going. The next thing we'll only touch on uh, today that you may well have noticed is people's special place. Uh, we are part of the creation and therefore, like it, depended on God. We're not an accident or a product of chance, but part of God's deliberate plans. And at the same time, we are unique compared to the rest of creation. Uh, we alone bear God's image. No other creature has that privilege and along with it comes the responsibility to rule over God's world and its creatures and we'll come back to that again next week. One last thing uh, to mention about creation uh, in the time we have 
It is good. It is good. Each step along the way, God judges the products of his work. You just take this one for an example, verses 3 and 4 of chapter 1, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. It was good. In fact, at the end of the sixth day, verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. You see, every step along the way, God evaluates. Did what he uh, make line up with his expectations? And it does, and it's good. Paul reminds us in the New Testament that that is still true today as he writes uh, 1 Timothy 4 verse 4. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. We've looked at God, we've looked at uh, creation, but how does it point us to Christ? Well, it's through connecting God and his creation here and the way Jesus is placed squarely in those same events later on in the Bible. Uh, Have a look at John 1. Uh, John 1, we've read before, uh, he writes his introduction away, so we'll recall Genesis 1, but with Jesus as God, as the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. What Genesis makes plain is Uh, the work of God, John reveals, is the work of Jesus. He's not created, he's not the first thing created, but he is God himself. And so he's at the coalface of creation. It's his work and he upholds it uh, now that it's been created. Not only that, you can read Paul in Colossians 1, where it's not only done by him, but for him as well. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In fact, if you go away and have a look at those uh, verses, uh, read on a little bit further, you see, well... In the first place, you've seen here that Jesus is both the creator and the reason for creation, but you read on in these passages and you actually see he's also the creator and the recreator through the gospel. The two wonderfully go together. But as we've uh, had a chance to at least uh, delve into Genesis 1, what, what is this saying to us today? How will it shape how we view our world and ourselves the rest of today and into the future. Of course, it shows us the wonder and majesty and goodness of God as the creation itself reflects, as Psalm 19, uh, the psalmist sings in Psalm 19. But if we're going to draw the threads together, let me give you three suggestions. First, Uh, Genesis 1 takes us to a view of the world that must govern and guide us. 
It actually challenges the alternatives. Alternatives that existed in the ancient world, just as they continue today. Nothing within the creation controls our destiny, not the sun or the moon or the stars. People have thought that in the past. People are still playing that game today. It's not just a bit of fun. Uh, It's what people actually believe. And yet here in Genesis we read, no, the God who controls everything is outside of the creation. Then there are those who believe what we see is all there is, uh, that everything has always existed and always will, that it just gets rearranged in the course of time. Uh, it's a convenient way of viewing the world too because we can live for now and for what we want because it's just caught up in the cycle of stuff changing from one thing to another and there's no accountability and certainly not to God. But really... How many people actually live that way? As if we're just accidents or without purpose or without meaning in the world. Others go down the path of spiritualism uh, where it's the spiritual world that matters, not the physical. In fact, the physical world is either evil (coughs) or an illusion that we have to try and escape. But Genesis knocks all of these on the head whether it's astrology or materialism or spiritualism, they're all critiqued by Genesis 1, where Genesis 1 offers God's better story. Secondly, what about science and creation? Does Genesis 1 come unstuck at the feet of science? No, it doesn't. I I don't know whether you've noticed, but this is actually less getting less uh, talked about in our world today because people have actually moved on from this over the last number of years, but nonetheless, we could spend lots of time sifting through claims and counterclaims. But here's the thing. Genesis 1 focuses on why, while science delves into observations and thinking about the how. Genesis explains why the creation is the way it is and lays in front of us purpose and meaning. Science isn't equipped to do that. Genesis is stylistic, though it's certainly not make-believe. Besides, we're looking just at 31 verses. Clearly God caused uh, this to be written. Uh, He wasn't trying to use the language of science as we know it. We have to approach every book with humility if we're going to understand what the author wants to communicate. How much more so with the word of God? Finally, Genesis uh, 1 invites us, uh, and this above all else, to sit at the feet of our great God and creator. Uh, From before the beginning, he was and will always continue to be. We were made to love and serve the creator God, to understand ourselves and our lives through him and to know Jesus and his gospel through whom we are recreated. He is powerful to create. He's intentional in what he does. And it is good. The God of Genesis 1, our God, is worthy of our praise each and every day. As you wake up in the morning, 
As you walk through your day, praise God, the author and sustainer of all that we've been given. Tell him, tell each other, tell others. Praise him for the beauty of his creation, for the complexity of it, even for the way it praises him. And we depend on him. And in everything we do, And in every step we take, entrust ourselves to him. Not many have had the opportunity that those first three astronauts had to view our planet, but Genesis 1 actually gives us an even richer perspective of both the wonder of creation and the amazing God who made it. Praise God for that. Amen.